0: Are you talking about how she
1: likes Cinderella's shoe? Oh,
0: yeah, definitely. <laughs> it's the shoe. I'm talking about the shoe. The yes. Shoe. Oh, the shoe. Yes, Cinderella's shoe.
2: Hi, and welcome to Cast Recording, a Starcatcher podcast. Starcatcher is a community based Jerusalem theater company. And this season, we're putting on the classic Sondheim musical Into the Woods. I'm Nuria Levy, an assistant director at Starcatcher, and each episode I'll be speaking with members of the Starcatcher cast and crew about musical theater in general, and Into the Woods in particular, and giving you a behind the scenes look at the production. Join us for just a moment in the woods. This week's episode is The Giant's a Woman in which we'll discuss the female characters in Into the Woods and how they conform to or subvert gender stereotypes, featuring special guests Avital Sikora and Rebecca Sykes. Follow StarCatcher on social media to get more information about our production. Hi, Avital and Rebecca, welcome. Great to have you on the podcast. Hi. (laughs) Hello. (laughs) Before we get into our discussion, I would love it if you could introduce yourselves to our listeners and tell us a little bit about the character that you play in the show.
0: So my name is Avital Sakura. I'm playing the baker's wife, and her arc is sort of split right down the middle between the acts. In act one, she's on a quest to have a child, to have a baby. And act two is more about what happens after that quest is completed and what happens I guess for everybody, what happens after happily ever after.
1: (laughs) And I'm Rebecca. I have the privilege of playing the witch. And I like to think of the witch as a woman of power, uh, exploring the joys and trials of single motherhood (laughs) while living in community with a bunch of people who don't know what they're doing. (laughs) in the prologue and really throughout the show, the witch shows up to either further action, to invite people to get what they want, uh, sometimes at their own expense, and also really in a sort of magic, backhanded kind of way get what she wants, which is uh, her youth back, her beauty back, and to be able to live happily ever after with her daughter.
2: Now, you are both very experienced actresses, both in professional and amateur uh, settings, and you know, you've been round the block in, in, in Jerusalem theater. And I wanted to ask you about your connection to Into the Woods. You know, when is the first time that you first encountered this musical? what did you think about it? What was your first reaction to it? So
0: I, I'm pretty sure I actually wrote on the audition form. There was a question about like, it was, why are you going into the woods? And I responded because it's been my dream since eighth grade. Um, I grew up with musical theater, but more along the Rodgers and Hammerstein sort of very classic happy ending uh, style of musical theater. And I discovered Into the Woods, I borrowed a VHS tape from a friend. It was taped from TV, and it started in the middle of first midnight, meaning I missed the prologue. I missed all kinds of great stuff, uh, but... From that moment, because it was right before Giants in the Sky, I was hooked. And my little angsty 14 year old self was like, wow, musicals can be dark. <laughs> um, and yeah, I actually, <laughs> this, is, this is going back. I, uh, I loved it so much that I, I threw together this group of ragtag band of kids who put on a production of Into the Woods Jr. Um, in Ranana. Uh, back in the day. And uh, yeah, and the rest, since then, it's it's definitely been on my bucket list.
1: <laughs> I first encountered Stephen, the music and uh, musical works of Stephen Sondheim when I was probably about eight, I got to see my mother in a production of Follies Mm -hmm. singing I'm Still Here. So I went from Follies to we would watch uh, the uh, videotaped version of Sweeney Todd again maybe nine, ten, so I went dark first. That's really the way to go, Avital, if you're gonna go, go dark. And so it wasn't until I was in high school that in a musical theater class we studied into the woods and I got to see the touring company uh, where Cleo Lane played the witch and just having, after having listened to the soundtrack again and again and again and again where I could do all of the parts with all of the lyrics, to see it on stage and to just see her embody the entire character, it was stunning. So I've also always wanted to play the witch.
2: (laughs) Well, this show is about wish fulfillment. Exactly. (laughs)
1: Good job, Starcatcher.
2: We do our best. So I'm really glad to have you both here, A, because you are terrific actresses who are an important part of the cast, but also because I have been waiting to do an episode on female characters in musical theater in general and in Into the Woods in particular for so long and we have had to keep pushing it off. So I'm really glad uh, that we're doing it now. I'll just explain a little bit about, you know, why I wanted to start discussing it because female characters traditionally in literature have these quite limited and predefined specific roles, uh, both in literature and in media. And they tend to be represented as either, you know, the villain, the witch as it were, uh, or the damsel in distress, the heroine, you know, the the innocent young maiden. And this is an idea that I was exposed to when I was studying literature and we studied um, a piece of feminist Theory called the Madwoman in the Attic, um, and this is uh, a book written by uh, Sandra Gilbert and Susan Gubar. So they wrote a book basically exploring uh, Victorian literature, nineteenth-century uh, literature, and female characters and female authors. Uh, and the the concept of the Madwoman in the Attic comes from Jane Eyre, where the first wife of Rochester who went insane and could no longer conform to society's image of a woman is locked up in the attic. So there's nothing to do with a woman who is neither the villain nor the heroine uh, and society doesn't know how to handle it so they shun her. And so there's this dichotomy always of women in literature, women in media, and I think in musical theater uh, that I want to examine in the show. And there's also this kind of split between a female character who is a maiden, and one who is a wife. And I, I wrote to you guys, I noted that uh, all the young women in the musical have names, whereas the ones who are either married or or no longer uh, young women have titles related to their family. The baker's wife, the stepmother, grandmother, Jack's uh, mother, Jack's mother, right? Mm-hmm. So, there you know what what happens there why does a woman becoming a wife or becoming you know in the second stage of her life why is she no longer a character or, or a heroine um so i wanted to take a closer look at the women of the woods uh, <laughs> and kind of see whether or not they conform or subvert these roles and what are the interesting things that we can talk about with regards to these amazing characters yeah, you know what? Let's let's start with the baker's wife, <laughs> <laughs> because she is Perfect. sitting right here. <laughs> so yeah, I was really interested in the baker's wife. The fact that she doesn't have a name, the fact that we don't know a lot her about her backstory. You know, the baker has this entire familial backstory, whereas his wife is really defined as his counterpart. Um, and Avital, maybe because you are so uh, <laughs> in the character and and dealing with it with it now in rehearsals. Um, is there anything you kind of noticed in this respect about the baker's wife? I think what's really
0: interesting is that the baker, even though he's the one who has all of the backstory and, and all of these extra motivations beyond the child, at the end of the day, he is completely lost. The baker's wife is the one who's setting everything up, making sure everything gets done. Without her, nothing would get done. Without her, they'd be looking for a golden cow and a uh, yellow slipper <laughs> instead of a cow as white as milk and a slipper as pure as gold.
1: Yeah, I. Uh, that's actually what I was gonna comment on also, that the baker's wife is a woman of action and also is willing to Push the limits and then in the second act describe limits of why can't I have this? Why can't I have the baker for bread and a prince for whatever? (laughs) And to be able to say like, oh, actually, a woman wants more and to define that for all of us. And also, if I could just say never before this production did it ever even occur to me that I didn't know the baker's wife's name (laughs) and so feminism is a learning process for all of us okay
2: yeah i also i do think that the baker's wife is exactly in this middle ground of we don't quite know what to do with her as an audience because she's not a princess. She's not a classic fairy tale character. You know, the baker and his wife were added uh, for the musical Into the Woods as kind of the more modern uh, interpretation of a fairy tale. But she's not the maiden, and yet she meets the prince without spoiling too much. And, you know, she starts off as a wife, she then becomes a mother, she has all of these different roles, and Avital, as we've been talking about in rehearsal, she often feels that she's in the wrong story. Uh, so she doesn't quite fit into any of these molds because she herself, as you said, is a very active you know, uh, person who goes on the quest as well, no matter how many times the baker tells her to stay put. She is always the one who is active, she's always the one who is looking, she's always the one who has everything organized and who knows what to do next.
0: Yeah, and I'd say she's, she's also in the, the lane of the fairy tale female protagonist, and yet she is firmly uh, behaving like one of the guys. She is the one pushing her story forward. She is the one pushing other people's stories forward, um, which is definitely not something you see from, from women in these types of stories.
2: So, Avital, there is one part of the Baker's Wife story that's often viewed as controversial. Yes. <laughs> In act two, without spoiling too much, but the Baker's Wife has a, we can call it a fair fling, romantic entanglement with- An interlude. S- An
1: interlude. <laughs> An encounter.
2: An encounter with Cinderella's prince. And this, for many reasons, kind of shatters a lot of the formulas that we're used to first of all a prince is supposed to be with the princess uh, and here he is with you know a peasant and the baker's wife is married as is the prince at this point uh, and this is kind of a flaw that you don't often see in heroes and heroines in fairy tales and there are some people who blame the Baker's Wife for this moment. Um, I personally, you know, it makes me like her even more. So, same. <laughs> yeah, so I wanted to know how you kind of approach this part of the Baker's Wife story, or if there is anything that is guiding you through that part as we're dealing with it in rehearsals right now. I think the real key to
0: the Baker's Wife as a character is how human she is and how relatable she is there's not a single character in this play who is not flawed in some way and i think that's the beauty of it usually we're rebecca you're making a i face. Mean, <laughs>
1: speak for yourself <laughs> oh, yeah. although the reality of each character like the humanity even of those characters who have supernatural powers at some point starting the play i'm willing to accept flawed as well but i just want <laughs> have to express reservations Encounter that later. Oh, Go. Okay. We'll, get we'll get to you. Okay.
0: <laughs> Great. I I don't think there's a there's a character in this play that isn't flawed, and I think that's the beauty of it. We're used to looking at fairy tale characters as these perfect archetypes of like you start at point A, you end at point B. This is your story, and that's how you get there. But Into the Woods takes this to a far more interesting plane. I think we have this tendency to be a lot less forgiving of women. Um, when it comes to these things where uh, I've, I think I read um, Gina Frangello talked about this in her book called Blow Your House Down, which is sort of uh, appropriate to, uh, oh, nice. to our theme. She was talking about an author who wrote about a, a woman who had an affair. And at this reading, she said uh, everyone agreed that if she had written a story about a man, there would be no story. Nobody would talk about it. It's not interesting because because we think that's that's normal. I think what's really interesting about this whole sequence is that you can't help but root for her a little bit. It's not like in Hamilton where you have the say no to this and everybody's thinking no, no. It's you sort of have this moment of okay, 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 get it, (laughs) and then go back to your old life. But take your take your moment.
2: Moving on to the witch, if we may, oh yeah, Rebecca, we're coming for you. (laughs) So another, you know, subversion, if you will, is seeing the witch as a mother, which, you know, we had a podcast episode about parents and children, and I'd forgotten to put the witch on the list because I automatically did not connect her with being a mother. And it's such a big part of the story, of course, but, classically the evil witch is the villain is the antagonist is the one who you know steals children or uh, kidnaps them or even kills them and never is the one who we see adopting a child having a relationship with a child Uh, So I wanted to hear from you, Rebecca, about the witch and how you interpret her.
1: Right. Let's just get it straight. She didn't steal it. There was an (laughs) agreed-upon transaction described in the prologue, and the consequences of certain actions meant that a debt had to be paid, and so that was that. Okay, Shylock. Exactly. Exactly. And what I love about the witch is that she is driven to be the best mother that she can when she comes from I believe a very challenging relationship with her own mother uh, who punished her severely um, and from that I imagine that the witch is not, is going to do it right with Rapunzel and out of a deep sense of love and devotion and of course it is completely outrageous and abusive but really it comes from she keeps her in a tower out of a desire to protect her I can understand where that comes from love all right I'll admit it the way she becomes a mother is kind of manipulative (laughs) and then also her mothering in itself is very manipulative and at the same time there's this one line where she's like saying like I was I was doing the best that I could. I don't know it's in the second act. We haven't we're not on book for the second <laughs> act yet, so that, I was just Joel trying me, to be a good, good mother. I was just trying to be a good mother. Thank you. Thank you for that cue. And so she was just trying to be a good mother and was really putting forth her best efforts to do so.
2: Yeah, and I think in that way she can be relatable of, you know, the attempt that does not always work of trying to do your best from wherever you are. Mm -hmm. It's also this question for me of what archetype is the witch? Because she is a witch, but then again, in another world, she could have been the protagonist of this story. Mm. She has a wish like any other character. Her wish is selfish, like a lot of the characters (laughs) Mm -hmm. uh, are. And sometimes you do root for her, strangely enough.
1: When? When are you rooting for her?
2: (laughs) When you play her. Oh, (laughs) yes. Excellent.
1: Yeah. At what point would you root for... Like, if we root for the baker's wife during her moment in the woods, when are you rooting for the witch?
0: I think you definitely root for her at the very least in Last Midnight. Mm. At the point where everybody's fighting and everybody's screwed up and the situation is dire and they're all blaming each other and the witch sort of has to be the grown-up and say, everybody, shut up. hmm You know, this is what we're doing. I'm getting out of here. Deal with your problems. Right,
1: right. Like, <laughs> lay down the law. <laughs> the grown-ups. Maybe she's actually a better parent- parental figure at that moment. I could buy that. Okay, thanks. <laughs> I feel much better. I feel much better.
2: And I think there is a realistic view of the world that she represents, which is you're not good, you're not bad, you're just nice. Mm -hmm.
1: I think about that line more than almost any other. Um, There's a discussion uh, in my family about being nice. And it's like being nice is seen as like the worst thing, and that people would much prefer authenticity honesty being direct and I'm like okay can we at least be polite along with that but there is something like you're not good you're not bad it's even worse you're nice and being super honest about that that's what I would think about the witch uh, throughout the whole show she's willing to be direct and honest even if it comes across as rude or disastrous I know that the line, first, children won't listen, and then children will listen. I relate to it much different now that I'm a parent uh, than when I did when I was, like, listening to it endlessly in high school, and I'm like children won't listen, she doesn't get us, that's why. (laughs) And then I'm like, "Mm, children won't listen. And then also they really, really do. So I see her as like this magician who could be in any moment and say like, this too is real. I had a teacher once who was actually around my age now when I was studying with her and she was like, I don't really want to mess around with everybody else. I'm in my crone years. <laughs> and I was like, what? You don't want to please people and do what you're supposed to do? And she's like, no. <laughs> and I, and she was like the kindest, most loving teacher I ever had. And I think, if that, if we're gonna pick an archetype, the crone, which is as an older woman who at mid fifties, sixties, whatever, just doesn't care. Do we curse on this podcast? I don't know.
2: <laughs> we can, but then I have to make the episode explicit. <laughs> Whoa, <laughs>
1: nice. We'll wait for cocktails. <laughs> uh, but that, at a certain point, it becomes like you do have this magic power. I'll say what I want and I'll say it to your face. Mm
2: -hmm. And I think another character that we could peg as the crone would be Granny. Oh yes. Who I find a super interesting character in the show. Uh, So Little Red's grandmother who by the way is the character who actually lives in the woods. You know she and the mysterious man are the two characters who reside (laughs) in the woods and she is also kind of a doesn't give a bleep about what other people uh think about her and she's also you know past childbearing years she obviously had a family at some point but now she is away from society (laughs) she passed her fertile years um and is kind of i don't know whether voluntarily or because she was pushed out lives alone in this tiny cottage in the woods to fend for herself. I bet
1: she went there by choice.
2: Yeah, she feels like an old hippie.
1: (laughs) Yeah, it's like, I gotta go. There's some mushrooms out here. They're delightful. Yeah, I think she went by choice.
2: Yeah, I think so too. And also because the fun thing about Granny is you expect, you know, a character named Granny and Little Red keeps talking about going to grandmother's house. And when we finally meet her, she's actually this very violent (laughs) character, uh, which is completely different than what you would expect of a kindly old grandmother who lives in the woods. Granny who is sick in bed is all of a sudden this bloodthirsty wolf skinner.
1: (laughs) That's good. It's a good look on a grandmother. Mm
2: -hmm. Yes. So let's talk about Cinderella. (laughs)
1: For my own personal journey in relationship to Cinderella in Into the Woods, I would say like her song On the Steps of the Palace is one of the first I learned as an actress and wanting to sing it. And I'll never forget my acting teacher was like, what does that mean at the very end that you know, uh, what is the last what's the last line of Cinderella's on the steps of the palace
0: Um, and you've learned something oh and I've
1: learned something too something you never knew and what (laughs) what does she learn and I was like I don't know and he's like you might want to think about that before using it as an audition song I was like fine (laughs) and then I was like okay she's and then I was like she's kind of annoying I say it quietly because I really like Cinderella and I think she's a fantastic character. But, like, she's like, "Mm, I don't know. Do I want to be with the prince or not? And, like, she can't quite commit to being here or there. And then I recognize two things. One, I myself have been annoying in my life (laughs) and not known what I wanted and tried and gone through that phase of trying to figure it out and talking it out loud and trying an experience and being afraid of it and stepping into it and pulling back. So Cinderella is righteous as a righteous woman who is exploring her life.
2: I think being annoying is certainly (laughs) a subversion of the princess archetype and of the heroine archetype and having someone who is human and mm-hmm. flawed and not perfect. And she can be a little bit annoying and a lot of bit indecisive. And a klutz. And a klutz, which I love. <laughs> yeah. Anyone who's seen me fall down in rehearsal rooms is way too <laughs> natural for me. Um, so it makes her endearing and it makes her more realistic. It takes her from this traditional archetype into, you know, We've known people like that.
1: For sure. I also like when she's doing the stepsister's hair and she pulls it just a little too tight. (laughs) It's like, mother said be good, but I'm not that. It's like, but, and so it's like, she's got a little fight in her too.
0: I love this, how Cinderella, I think, is one of the characters in, in this piece that has really infinite interpretations. Um, because I see, I mean, obviously there are, there are the various, uh, professional productions out there. I see the amazing work that Shelly is doing with it in rehearsal. I see what you're talking about. And as we were discussing it in rehearsal, I came up with like my own idea. I was thinking like, wait a minute, what if Cinderella is like kind of ADD And she, you know, wants to go to the ball, but she gets there and it's, like, kind of noisy and, like, there are lots of people and it's weird and, like, she's not really comfortable. It's kind of overstimmy. And she she knows she has
1: to leave at a certain time. so She's kind of already half left because that's what she has to do.
0: There are just so many different ways to look at this very weird and, you know, that might be be pegged as annoying, but uh, this very strange behavior that, you know, if we're not used to
2: princesses behaving
0: this way. Nice.
2: Yeah, I'm going back to this violent streak, I do want to mention the birds. <laughs> um, Cinderella has this semi-symbiotic relationship with some birds in the forest, and sometimes they do nice things, like bring her information or pick lentils out of the ashes, and sometimes they do some not nice things to other people that she doesn't like, and... You know, it's kind of thrilling, the possibility of a princess being violent or directing violence. Um, Not saying that it's a good thing, kids, but uh, the idea that she is a little bit vengeful. As you're saying about the hair, you know, she is living with these mantras of being good and being nice. But she can't quite live up to them because she Who can? Yeah, because nobody can.
1: Get some birds, people. (laughs) Get yourself some birds.
0: There's that word again. Nice.
2: Nice. Yeah. Another maiden that we have is Rapunzel, who is another kind of classic fairy tale character. But I also wanted to take this opportunity to mention Tangled. And can we (laughs) just talk... About, I saw Tangled before knowing Into the Woods. I know.
1: Wow. Uh,
2: mia culpa, I've already How are you doing this. with that? I've, ar- <laughs> I've already admitted this on the podcast. I'm a late comer to Into the Woods. Okay. You must forgive me. No forgiving, just <laughs>
1: wary looking. That's okay. Judging eyes. No. Um,
2: but I did discover... A, I mean, the first time I saw Into the Woods, I was like, "Oh, this is where Mother Knows Best comes from," and yeah. you know, Mother Gothel, obviously. But I then found out that Donna Murphy, who voices Mother Gothel in Tangled, I would also played the Central play. park version. <laughs> she played the witch in the Central Park She's version. She's so
1: scary and so good and so heartbreaking. That, like Donna Murphy's performance as the witch, it is literally you feel her heartbreak at losing Rapunzel at losing her relationship with her daughter
2: yeah and to me it's so intrinsically linked with the story of Rapunzel which is funny because it's like right obviously the fairy tale came first and then into the woods and then tangled and then but but to me it's all connected it's like it's all part of the story so whenever i think of Rapunzel it's already kind of the version of Rapunzel that is influenced by Into the Woods and that's part of this story. Because, you know, if I go back to the original fairy tale, A, it's darker because I think Rapunzel ends up getting pregnant from uh, the prince and it's a different character than than the one that we have in Tangled. But it's also not as heavily emphasizing the mother-daughter relationship. An interesting twist that I think we see in Into the Woods is kind of the madness of Rapunzel. You know, we're not used to seeing princesses going crazy, Mm -hmm. but in the original story, she kind of does go crazy. And she is, you know, the madwoman in the tower of this show. Mm -hmm. Let's talk about the giantess for Mm -hmm. a moment, because a surprise in the show is the line, the giant's a woman. Yeah. And so I was wondering, why is that such a big deal that we feel the need to, I mean, Rebecca, the witch mentions it in the text, you know, why is it so surprising that the giant is a woman all of a sudden?
1: To me, it's because I think as I have been programmed and I'm talking about me, Rebecca, as I have been programmed, you hear a named, big, powerful thing, you immediately, I immediately think male. Mm -hmm. And so it's like, wait, what? When I first realized this, and then like, of course, her husband was just killed. Of course this giantess is going to get out and get her, you know, like, I don't know, get her, not her fair due, but get her what?
2: revenge
0: justice okay. she's I gonna get her revenge. revenge she's avenging him yes. but it's not yeah.
1: it's it's vengeance, not vengeance. No, yes. so.
0: i think also what's interesting is is that we're aware that there's a female giant yeah that's we know about, about this from giants in the sky it's very clear that there's a woman there but and totally yet we're forgotten stu- yeah it completely goes over our heads i think also because uh, the archetype of the giant you never hear fairy tales where the giant's a woman the giant is always you know doing violent Fee, angry fi, things foe, yeah.
1: yeah I think like the and then as the witch when I say the giant is a woman it's like yeah you go They're, girl yeah <laughs> you go and I'm gonna help you get that boy <laughs> <laughs> and we're on the same side I know you I see you I feel you I'm like <laughs>
2: female villain solidarity exactly exactly yeah
1: i just want to go back to this idea though that like female villain solidarity the giantess wasn't meant to be a villain those giants in the sky they were minding their own business until the humans went up there and like wreaked havoc they might have gone up there living happily ever after mm-hmm. without humanity. And it's only when we mess it up that they have to. I'm very sorry, but now there is vengeance. We I brought it on ourselves.
2: Yeah, so it's Jack's fault.
0: I, <laughs> yes. I know you already talked about this in a previous episode, but but again, I don't think there are any villains in this story. There's a lot of people who end up doing, you know, things that wreak terrible consequences and and unfortunate Missed connections and things, but as far as calling anyone a villain, I I don't think we have those in this show.
1: Yeah, there are no <laughs> villains in this show, Noria. I hear that said, comment section.
2: <laughs> <laughs> as we've said in previous episodes, I was just here to, you know, it was a trick question, and you guys
1: passed. So. Yes. Okay. All right. When you invited us to do this podcast immediately i knew that it would require cocktails (laughs) and so i googled you know like ooh what are cocktails named after famous women and of course google said women like cocktails that are fruity and sweet (laughs) and blah 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 and i was like "Mm, okay and so i brought uh, the ingredients for my take on a sweet and fruity French 75. It's literally all alcohol. So <laughs> it will knock you on your ass. Sorry, Explicit Podcast. <laughs> but comes with, let's see. It's going to, I know, the okay, suspense, okay. she kills you. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay, so we have in this beautiful pink bottle, in these beautiful pink glasses, we have uh, some lychee liqueur. So we're just gonna put some of that in. Measuring is for suckers. <laughs> okay. And then, exactly. I, I would think for, you know, in a fairy tale, there's going to be a generous pour. Nahon Okay. <laughs> Great. So I'll put that in there. And then, just because I do love elderflower, it needs a little bit of sweetener, so I brought some simple syrup.
2: That's such a fairy tale Yes. Dream. I mean, elderflower.
1: <laughs> I'm, think, I'm only thinking of you. Okay? There we go. A little bit there little bit there. You can always add more. And then we top it off with this kava. Okay, so mm, you yes. need a little bubbly. Which is
2: the only wine I can drink, so we're good. <laughs> Great. And by can, I mean have the ability to endure alcohol. <laughs> Cheers! Yeah. I'll drink to Two that. To women, exactly. Mmm. <laughs> I wanted to talk about Into the Woods from the feminist perspective, and if we're talking about female solidarity and all of that. And one thing that I wanted to try is to see if the show can pass the Bechdel test, Mm -hmm. uh, which I've been thinking about since I sent it to you, and I'm not sure it does, but we can try and figure it out together. So for those who don't know, the Bechdel test is a simple test which names the following three criteria. One, it has to have at least two women in the scene who, two, talk to each other about, three, something besides a man. Okay, this is like in response to a lot of uh, things in media, TV shows and, and movies that do have women in it, but often there are two women in the scene and all they are talking about is a man. So is that really... A realistic feminist um, conversation. So let's let's think about. Can you think of an instant that this show does pass the test?
0: I think. Also, I remember reading that the Bechdel test, the the two female characters are supposed to be named. So I think mm. the entire <gasps> show fails. Oh
1: <laughs> Unless it's no. Do Florinda and Lucinda ever talk about anything other than the prince? They with Cinderella. They
2: they do. I mean, they're mean to each other. but you, <laughs> I guess you could say they talk about what they they're talk about their wear, wear and hair. Yeah. Oh, but Avital, to your point, to be fair, none of the male no, characters have, yes. are named this either. This is true. So it's not specifically I think a against the female characters, uh, but because they are all fairy tale archetypes. But yeah, I was thinking about even you know, the baker's wife and Cinderella. Scenes that I have loved working on uh, in the rehearsal rooms. But then when I thought about it from this prism, I was like, oh, they're talking about the prince.
0: Yeah. I mean, the baker's wife and uh, Jack's mother have a little moment. Granted, they are talking about Jack, but is he really a man? He's a child.
2: Mother, I'm a man now.
0: (laughs) (laughs) But even beyond that, I mean, there are a bunch of lines back and forth about just children in general. Right. I mean, there, there's a lot of talk now about how the Bechdel test is is sort of a low bar to meet anyway, mm-hmm. because it's like, okay, great, so you have the you have you your have one your one scene, bravo. Mm-hmm. Um, and I actually, I I found Roxanne Gay came up with her own test, um, and I, I'm, I'm paraphrasing, but basically, you have a woman's story being told where. The woman isn't a sidekick a romantic interest or a cameo character mm. okay in a world populated by other intelligent female characters
1: check check check
0: yeah where said female character doesn't compromise her sanity or common sense for a man yeah and the, the, okay. <laughs> all of them but right you know, mm-hmm. okay. Some okay. Of them okay do. The last one. and the last one oh the last one i wrote uh, there are some other points that are that are less relevant to a fairy tale setting mm-hmm. but um yeah so as far as that as far as that test goes it's uh it's a little That's more footing. Yeah, yeah for
1: sure Love at Roxanne least Gay. for the
0: baker's wife <laughs>
2: for both of you, for The Witch and for The Baker's Wife, uh, I could see those uh, criteria being met in Mm -hmm. the show. Yeah, and while we were thinking, I even thought about The Witch having conversations with other women in the show that are not about a man, especially, you know, she has a whole relationship and conversations with Rapunzel that are about just dangers of the world and, you know, a reality check and her her position as a mother so
1: she does say in the like stay with me though like princes and wolves wait there out in the world
0: third baker's wife cinderella scene it's not about the prince it's about the shoe and the baby it's about the shoe it's about the
2: shoe and the baby well you know women can only talk about shoes and babies (laughs) there you
0: go I noticed something in thinking about women in this show. I told this to you yesterday, or the other day in rehearsal, Rebecca, and you, it blew your mind. Say it again. Did you notice that other than the narrator, whose gender technically isn't specified, all the people who die are women?
2: I wanted to ask about this, <laughs> and I forgot, but thank you for bringing it up. Yes, all the characters who die are women, And many, if not most of those deaths are framed as some kind of punishment. So that's
0: interesting because I actually looked at all of them as sort of tragic accidents, Mm. random moments of like, I can't believe that just ha- where did that? I mean, you're gonna you're gonna like this. The, the last battle in Harry Potter, okay? When you see characters dying left and right and it's like, wait, what? why? It's just a casualty of the fact that, you know this is the apocalypse. It's the end of the world, and people are just tragically dropping like flies. It's interesting because I think the the natural inclination would be to say, hey, okay, this character gets punished because they did a bad thing, so they die. If yeah. we're gonna go back to like other comic book uh, feminist moments, then like the the idea of of fridging a character. Have you heard of this? No, I haven't. Oh, Gail Simone. Like a,
1: when a, if a fridge drops on you, like Wiley <laughs> Coyote, is that no. what we're doing?
0: There's this phenomenon in, a in um, made by Acme. <laughs> There's this phenomenon in in a lot of um, comic books where like the male protagonist has a female love interest who is uh, killed, and that is his motivation to, you know, go off and be the hero.
2: Mm.
0: Um, which I think does happen in the show, um, but it's not, it's not that there's, you know, a transgression that leads to this death,
2: mm-hmm. right? Wait, but so why is that fridging?
0: Oh, why is it fridging? Because like one of the first examples, I forget which superhero it was, but um, he literally finds her in a fridge
2: gruesome but you know we
0: are talking about uh, fairy tales and you know gruesome deaths and things
2: yes Yes. it happens i have loved thinking about the women of the show and i just think that they present us with a new viewpoint on classic female characters and that it's you know they can't really be put in a box and i kind of like that
1: i really have huge gratitude towards the great Stephen Sondheim, his memory shall be a blessing, but that I believe was one of his greatest gifts to musical theater starting from Gypsy all the way through. Uh, Women can be human and can be full and can want things and can be angry but don't have to be shrews. It's really, it's incredible.
2: going to move on to a new segment on the podcast that is called can't see the woods for the trees this is a very text heavy show and it can be easy to miss some of the nuances so we're going to take this opportunity to have a bit of a deep dive into the words and do some textual analysis we are going to take a look at two random lines from the show and see if we can find any connection that we wouldn't have necessarily thought of otherwise This segment is inspired by the podcast, Harry Potter and the sacred text, which employs many different methods of this kind of textual analysis. Rebecca, please choose a number between one and 190.
1: 72.
2: 72. Avital, please open the script to page 72. Okay. Rebecca, you're going to close your eyes. Okay. And Avital is going to hand you the page and you're just going to point randomly at a piece of text. This is
1: very scientific.
2: Yes. It's in a, in a scientific method. Okay. okay. Please open your eyes and read out the line. That is a stage direction.
1: <laughs> mm, okay. Please let me just compare this color with that of your own.
2: Okay. Let's <laughs> just give some context to that quote for a moment. So who says this quote?
1: Uh, the baker is saying this quote to uh, Lucinda and Florinda
2: and he is trying to compare an ear of corn to their hair to see if their hair is as yellow as corn, because he is still searching for the hair as yellow as corn at this point.
0: Mm -hmm. Because he doesn't know I already have it. Yes. (laughs)
2: Let's find our second quote. Avital, pick a number between 1 and 190. 123. Excellent choice. (laughs) And please read out the quote.
0: Good idea. I will disguise myself and go to see what's wrong. Thank you, birds.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Okay, love it. We got some really juicy quotes here. So uh, Avital, just give us a little bit of context for it.
0: Uh, This is from the opening of Act Two, where Cinderella has just received some news from her uh, aforementioned bird friends. um, And she decides to go back into the woods.
2: I'm going to read the quotes out one after the other. And mm-hmm. let's think if we can find any connections between the two quotes. It can be anything that comes to mind. Great. Okay? So the first quote was, please, let me just compare that color with that of your own. And our second quote was, good idea. I will disguise myself and go to see what's wrong. Thank you, birds.
1: Here's one thing that I noticed, no one in this show is alone you can't (laughs) do what you need to do by yourself uh the baker is desperately trying to just like match up with other people uh they have to find he has to find it so he must connect with other people to try and find it and Cinderella doesn't live in a vacuum she has birds that do her bidding and so she not she wouldn't necessarily have the idea or understand what's happening out in the world if she didn't have other people other birds to help her you've got to have somebody
0: I'd actually take it in the other direction. You've got two characters here who are trying to get stuff done on their own that they just cannot do. The baker mm. is trying to you know, get what he thinks is the third item uh, on his own and you know, gets laughed at and, and what have you. Uh, and Cinderella thinks she's about to go into the woods by herself when there's a giant on the loose. Little does she know that that tree isn't quite there anymore. The tree that she's about to go to to vi- to visit her mother's grave um and so we have two characters who are who are sort of trying to make it alone before they realize that they really can't
1: okay i like her answer better
2: <laughs> i think you're both saying the same thing it's uh, sure. you know two sides of the same coin this is very far-fetched, but I always go for the linguistic aspect, Mm -hmm. Um, and I notice the use of please and thank yous Mm. in these two lines, Mm. you know, and are both prefaced or followed by something that is completely ridiculous. Like, (laughs) the baker is being very polite, but his request is very weird and even intrusive, you know, especially if we're talking about, like, medieval times to ask to see a woman's hair is (laughs) is quite, you know, a shocking invasion of privacy. Scandalous. If
1: only we did employ method acting and we had to send Jeff into Hadar Mall with an ear of corn and try to get people to to show him... To, to undo, undo their, their head hair covering. <laughs> head covering and show it's i please yeah, i just want to compare it please <laughs> they won't let me leave until i get it right, that's, that's good
2: that is exactly what it would be like today it would yeah. be like if someone came up to a woman wearing a head cover and were like please do you mind just undoing <laughs> your hair cover ran- randomly in the middle of the street so i can compare it with, it's with important this color? it's super important i won't tell you why but it's really <laughs> important there's right? magic involved yeah <laughs> (laughs) I don't know Mm -hmm. I just is it yellow can I see um and you know Cinderella ends her sentence with thank you birds which (laughs) you know to anyone else is ridiculous that you know as little red says you can talk to birds you know Mm -hmm. the fact that she's even talking to them but also her idea is ridiculous like I'll disguise myself and go to the woods this makes perfect sense thank you birds Mm bye-bye um and so it's to me, it connects us back to fairy tales. This whole idea of please and thank yous that fairy tales were meant to educate children to be good and to be polite. Um, but the twist here is that the please and thank yous are attached to completely ridiculous things.
1: Nice. So.
2: All right, ladies, prepare. Okay. The time has come for the Three Midnight's Trivia. Let me just just top us off. I'm still working on mine. I know,
1: I took the bus here, it's fine. (laughs) Perhaps a cocktail or four. (laughs) That's right.
2: You will have three multiple choice questions to answer. Just a reminder, this is a team effort. You are not competing against each other. I have high hopes for you in this uh, trivia section. That is centered around women in theater. Yes. Yes. (laughs) I know my audience. Thank you. Thank you, birds. (laughs) (laughs) Question number one. Which new production of a Stephen Sondheim musical switches the gender of its Company. main character? But you have to let <laughs> me finish reading out the question. Bobby, Bobby. I'm, I'm sorry. i sorry. Bobby. I knew you were going to guess. Bobby. It. That was my gift, too. And those who don't know, both Avital and Rebecca were in a production of Company in Jerusalem a few years ago. And so I knew a they were A few years get ago. This. I'm, I'm on your side here, hence uh, the cocktails. Hence <laughs> the cocktails, um, but for those, uh, before we were so rudely interrupted, let me just complete the question so they know what we're talking about. Okay. Um, which, of the, uh, which new production of a Stephen Sondheim musical switches the gender of its main character from male to female? As you correctly said, it is company. What were the
1: other options? The other options, <laughs>
2: the other options were Follies, Merrily We Roll Along, or Sweeney Todd. Mm, um nice. Sweeney Todd I would watch. Okay. Right. Can soon I just tell a funny story a about, about
0: that production of company? Yes of course. I went to see that production of company two two and a quarter times because one time they they stopped before the opening number, cause they didn't have enough understudies. Oh, this was a whole, yeah. This was like in the height of the understudy crisis.
2: Wow. Mm. And
0: um, they they called a hold and then Patti LuPone came out and like entertained us for 10 minutes. And then they announced that they could not continue the show because of a non COVID related illness. Um, I went back the next day and saw it, it was incredible. And then a few months later, I went back to see it again. And the usher saw me, her name is Joanne, which <gasps> is just,
2: Perfection.
1: Fantastic. And she
0: said, you were here before, weren't you? And I said, Joanne, you remember? She said, yes. This was when they were giving out the Stephen Sondheim playbills. They had four different kinds. She's like, okay, I'm not supposed to do this. But here, open your bag. She gave me one of each. <gasps>
2: She's like, please take Joanne. Don't
0: don't tell anybody. (laughs) Joanne.
2: We love you, Joanne.
0: Exactly.
1: (laughs) Give me (laughs) Joanne the programs. Okay.
2: (laughs) Okay. I'm going to move on with new rules, which is you are not allowed to speak until I finish reading out the question and the answers. Okay. Okay. Question number two. You
1: should make us turn off the mics until you're done. (laughs)
2: Seriously. If I didn't need them myself, I would. Okay. Um, Mm. It's okay. I, you know, self-control. It's an important virtue. I've heard of it. Yes. (laughs) Question number two. Which of the following historically inspired musicals does not feature female characters who became famous because of their husbands? A. Hamilton. B. Six. C evita or d assassins assassins, assassins. <laughs> even
1: though i mean talking about evita as a whole like she didn't become famous because of her husband i would say she became famous in spite of him i understand that she married him yes. uh, juan peron but let's just say She was the mover and shaker, but yes, assassins.
2: No, yes. The correct answer is (laughs) assassins. And I will say, I agree with you about Evita. For sure, she was the stronger and more impressive character. Mm -hmm. But she became known as the first lady. So that is attached (sighs) to the power of her husband. She
0: unfortunately wouldn't have reached that point without her husband. I
1: understand. Which reminds me of when I was 16 and auditioned for... A production of Greece at camp, which was going to be done <laughs> in Hebrew, using the entire song of "Don't Cry for Me, Argentina."
2: Greece. Oh, my gosh. Yeah,
1: uh, that was my audition song oh. for the musical Greece. Oh, that was your right? audition song. My okay. audition song was "Don't Cry for Me, Argentina" for a Hebrew language production at Kemperman, Wisconsin, <laughs> of
2: Greece. But did you get the role?
1: I got the. Go there we go
2: choices <laughs> Listen. okay
1: that song screams sandy
2: yes of course. Okay. you auditioned for sandy yes. i would so picture you as a rizzo i understand
1: but uh, look i was you know what Noria? at one point i was innocent <laughs> it was a long time ago but it was there
2: <laughs> Listen. I, I know the corrupted uh interesting version of you i think so All right, ladies, last question. Question number three. Which Broadway star has won six Tony Awards, which is more performance wins than any other actor and makes them the sole person to win all four acting categories? You already know this, but I'm gonna read out the options anyway. You should,
1: just read them out.
2: (laughs) A, Audra McDonald, B, Angela Lansbury, C, Gwen Verdon, or D, Bernadette Peters?
1: All brilliant.
2: Yes, we stand all of them.
1: All of them. But the answer is... <gasps> Audra McDonald.
2: McDonald. That is correct. <laughs> yes. Although, it should be said that Angela Lansbury and Gwen Verdon both won four. Um, so they are close runners-up. But yes, Audra is queen of tony awards with 6 under her belt and it's amazing that she managed to win across all acting categories yes. like For
1: real yes and I mean, she's still working thank god yes
2: <laughs> Great. This has been so fun. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Everybody buy tickets to come see these two amazing, amazing women on stage. We would love to see you there. Yes. Yes. Uh, They might even talk to you if you're lucky. Totally. (laughs) I
1: actually want to talk to you. So (laughs) finally, I'll be waiting. Thanks.
2: Great. Thank you.
1: Thanks, Noria. Thank you.
2: Thank you for listening to this episode of Cast Recording, a Starcatcher podcast. Let us know what you thought about our discussion, and if there's anything else you'd be interested to hear more about. You can follow the Starcatcher page on Facebook, or follow JLM on Instagram or TikTok. Thanks to Avital Sikora and Rebecca Sykes for coming on this episode. This podcast was produced and edited by Nuria Levy. See you next time for another Moment in the Woods.